All right, hey everybody, uh, Safe Rotani here uh, with my dad, the OG, um, here for episode 14 of OG-san. Uh, obviously, first and foremost, hope everybody is healthy and safe and, um, you know, is doing as well as can be within these just absolutely unprecedented and crazy times. Um, you know, and, and obviously we've gone from one absolute hot topic to another um, uh, equally inflammatory, if not more, um, topic in the social injustice um, demonstrations, protests, uh, uh, and everything else that came, has come along with it um, uh, all around police brutality and, and inequality for, our, uh, for our, the, the black community. Uh, and... I thought a great way to start this one off is, um, you know, oftentimes uh, Martin Luther King Jr. is used as a, um, a, an example of why nonviolent protest is the way and a way to denounce um, violent protests and uh, riots and looting and, and the potential impact that those bring along. So um, wanted to, I found a video that I thought was really impactful um, and I'll play that and then uh, would love to get um, your take on, um, you know, on the video, on your, your experience um, with, with demonstrations and what it's meant before and, and what it means to be seeing them now. So here we go. And are socially destructive and self-defeating. I'm still convinced that non-violence is the most potent weapon available to oppressed people in their struggle for freedom and justice. But riots do not develop out of thin air. Certain conditions continue to exist in our society which must be condemned as vigorously as we condemn riots. In the final analysis, a riot is the language of the unheard. What is it that America has failed to hear? It failed to hear that the promises of freedom and justice have not been met. Social justice and progress are the absolute guarantors of riot prevention. So I finished with the 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 they are the absolute guarantors of riot prevention. Um, so what do you what do you think of that, Dad? That was, that was over fifty years ago. Well, you know, it's always been an issue of whether to call it a riot or call it a demonstration, an insurrection, and I think it's a matter of point of view. So from where I sit, uh, I graduated high school in. Gardena High School in 1965. So that was the time we had the Watts insurrection or the Watts riots. And I remember seeing uh, tanks and uh, National Guard standing on the street uh, carrying rifles and wondering what's going on as you see the plumes of smoke uh, from South Central, which was not that far from Gardena, a little bit north, as you know, up the 110 freeway. And then I myself uh, actively involved in many, many demonstrations ranging from those for 
social justice and equality and the social justice movement, which was right after the civil rights movement. It was born of the civil rights movement. And then we had the Black Panther Party and the Brown Berets and the Young Lords. And we had many Asian American organizations, whether it was uh, Asian Americans for Action, uh, Iwar Kuhn. There was many, many organizations involved in the beginnings of the social justice movements. And they were all linked with the anti-Vietnam War movement because so many American soldiers were dying and like the situation today disproportionately affected black and Latino soldiers because they were the ones that were always walking point. But what manifested the anti-war movement was ultimately too many Americans were dying and no one knew for what we were fighting anymore. Um, so we marched against the war and the point of view that we had was that not only is it a case of an unjust war for American soldiers and what were we fighting for, but also it was an issue of self-determination for Asian countries. In this case, it was Vietnam. So the main person at the time was Ho Chi Minh, who people called the communists, but really Ho Chi Minh was fighting for independence for Vietnam. And at that time, after the French and then the American building of their empire after World War II, being the victors and Japan being pushed back uh, by losing the war, then the Vietnamese and then support from the People's Republic of China were fighting against what was called American imperialism. So it wasn't just a case of bringing the boys home and ending the war but it was about anti-imperialism and fighting for self-determination for Asian countries and Asian independence. And then after the Vietnam War, things changed for me because I became an elected official and on the Board of Education. That was in 1992 after the killing, after the beatings of Rodney King, and then the police officers that beat him were exonerated which kicked off the 1992 riots. And I remember driving down the 110 freeway because being a member of the Board of Education, we were having to monitor what was happening to our schools, none of which were burned or destroyed. Uh, but I remember driving down the 110 freeway saying and on my left and on my right, whether I was going north or I was going south, you could see plumes of smoke as if a an air raid or a bombing uh, attempt went overhead vis-a-vis -vis airplanes and to drop bombs. There was plumes of smoke throughout the horizon. And then I've seen all kinds of demonstrations related to uh, white police officers killing unarmed African-Americans. And so the question that gets begged is why is this one different than the ones that happened relative to Ferguson, mm -hmm. Missouri, or uh, Trayvon Martin, or Eric Gardner, or the many others that didn't get the publicity, let alone get taped or were talked about or videoed. So now that we have a case where we have demonstrations throughout the United States, and this is on top of the pandemic, the only thing we need to make the karmic 
trifecta would be an earthquake. So with the pandemic, the nationwide and now worldwide demonstrations, anti-racism demonstrations, uh, the only thing left is to have some real major natural disaster, which obviously I hope doesn't happen. Knock on wood. But what makes this different is that in my opinion, it sort of manifests uh, something that took place in the mid-1950s. What I mean by that is that in 1955, and this is always referenced relative to the beginnings or really the uh, coming together of the civil rights movement, is the murder and lynching of Emmett Till. Mm-hmm. And Emmett was a teenager who was born and grew up in Chicago. And in August of 1955, and I just wrote about this in the column for the Rafushimpo, he went down to visit relatives in Mississippi. This is 1955. And apparently bragging to some friends and relatives, he said he had a white girlfriend in Chicago. And that was unheard of in the South in 1955. So he was taunted and really, uh, uh, you know, he was uh, dared to speak to a white woman. And at the local store after buying a candy bar, uh, his friends heard him, overheard him call the white woman baby uh, in a sort of an affectionate tone as he left the store. Well, the woman that was the clerk was white. Her husband was the store owner. And when he came home from a trip, she told him about Emmett Till and said that he had physically attacked her and had taunted her sexually. And her husband went and got his half-brother and searched out Emmett Till. They found him. They beat him. They shot him in the head. They mutilated his body, wrapped him with a chain onto a huge metal fan, and threw him in the Tallahatchie River. And when the body was found, both were arrested, but then exonerated and acquitted of the murder by an all-white male jury. And this was so egregious, even in the South in 1955, that along with other things that is credited with galvanizing the fledgling civil rights movement. So two recent racist acts that have been shared in the public eye because of cell phones having cameras is the issue involving the white lady in Central Park with an unleashed dog being admonished by an African-American male, Christian Cooper, who asked Amy Cooper, no relations, but the white woman to leash her dog in the area where he was uh, watching birds. He was a bird watcher. And she then weaponized the situation by saying that she was gonna call the police and she did, claiming that she was being attacked by a black woman, knowing that that would instigate, and as I said, weaponize, Mm -hmm. a response that very well could have ended up with Christian Cooper being killed. Very much like what happened with Emmett Till, where the white woman knew if she complained to her husband, 
about what Emmett Till did, he would pay the price, just as this white woman knew that if she complained in this case to the powers that be, which were the police, that very well, the likelihood that the same fate that Emmett Till suffered would be visited upon Christian Cooper. Then to add to that, to take the Emmett Till example to its complete extreme, the murder of Emmett Till was replicated by the murder of George Floyd. And it wasn't just that he was murdered unarmed by a white police officer, but the way in which it was done, where it wasn't out of a, a, a fear or really an anger on the part of the police officer, he matter-of-factly put his knee on George Floyd's neck, and in eight minutes and 46 seconds, stopped him from breathing. And all the usual ramifications that are brought forward when something like this happens about resisting arrest or trying to escape or whatever the case may be, the cell phone video showed that he was cooperative, that he was subdued, he was on the ground, held down by other police officers as Derek Chauvin put his knee on his neck. So it wasn't just the murder, the symbolism of having someone's knee, or the term is putting your foot on their neck, mm-hmm. means complete dominance and really is a reflection of the arc of racism directed at black people for all these many centuries and years. And then to double down on the symbolism, President Trump invokes the term vicious dogs when talking about subduing the demonstrators. And he admonishes city mayors and state governors to dominate the demonstrators, which means put your foot on their neck. So like Emmett Till's murder, so egregious galvanized the civil rights movement which changed the whole course of American history and world history. I mean, the demonstrators in Hong Kong have reorganized and and taken over Tiananmen Square again, and they're probably singing We Shall Overcome with a Chinese accent. That's how broad and effective and far-reaching the civil rights movement was that what we're seeing with all the demonstrations, the days involved, and I know there's been some wrongdoing and rioting and and looting and people have taken, trying to take advantage of the demonstrations and sort of subvert their message. Fortunately, that hasn't happened. But hopefully these two examples of what happened to Christian Cooper vis-a-vis Amy Cooper and the murder of George Floyd will not be in vain, but in fact will galvanize, will galvanize a movement for not only acknowledging that Black Lives Matter, but the issue of justice for all people and fairness for all people. And that's what makes this different. This is why this will not quietly dissipate into the night. This will not disappear 
the ramifications will be much more far-reaching. And it's not a matter of just having the demonstrations dwindle and end, but out of it will be born policy, uh, organizing efforts, uh, other things that will bring this movement forward uh, in sort of the modern day civil rights movement. So it's it's not necessarily that, I mean, all of these these injustices are 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 horrible in their own in their own right, but it's not that these specific instances are 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 you know special is not the word, but it is the collective flashpoint that's happening based on where you know these these number of instances that have happened in the last month or so the i think the the state that we're in you know with with the with covid-19 and and people being you know stuck at home um the ever present um frustration and anger and um you know just just the the lack of 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 change that that the black community and um, people of color uh, have dealt with when it comes to, um, and uh, you know, police brutality and injustices by by law enforcement. All of that has has become a flashpoint, and I think that's it's an interesting note because you know, from and it's it's a little bit of a tangent, but from a business standpoint, there's a lot of businesses, there's a lot of um, noteworthy people that I think are hoping that this is just you know that it's going to hit a fever and then people are going to, you know, they're going to say what they're going to say. People are going to put out statements and then it's going to fade away. Like, you know, like, like Ferguson and like some other, you know, some of our previous um, incidents. And you're saying that this is, this is different, that this is, this is going to actually, um, you know, the, the cup is going to overflow on this one and it's going to re- result in some actual like strong, um, tangible, uh, um, changes for for our community for the institutions uh uh for our, for our, our, the institutions involved yeah it, <clears throat> you've used the term flashpoint there's another term that's used called tipping point mm-hmm. and really it's a part of a, a dynamic whereby the quantitative makes a leap to the qualitative. Mm. What I mean by that is that you can take a pot of water that you want to boil for ramen, for example. And there's a saying that a wash pot never boils. You put the pot of water on your stove and you turn on the flame and you watch it and you watch it and the flame is still hot. And you watch it and you watch it and it just seems like it's never going to boil. But the more quantity of heat, the more duration of the heat, then you start seeing little bubbles come from the bottom of the pan and the bubbles get bigger and they start boiling. And then the water, solid liquid, makes a qualitative change into a gas, steam. And so all of these events, 
And even though they talk about, you know, a few bad apples or these individuals that have made mistakes or these individuals are the bad guy or the bad person, really the reason it keeps happening over and over, I mean, it's, why did Eric Gardner six years ago use the term, I can't breathe? Six years later, George Floyd says, I can't breathe. Mm -hmm. When Trayvon Martin was in that neighborhood and the self-identified uh, law and order vigilante tells him to get out of the neighborhood and follows him and kills him, we have the situation with Naimad Aubrey where he's running through a neighborhood and self-identified, self-deputized individuals run him down and shoot and kill him. Why does the same thing keep happening? Right. It's because it's not based on individual acts. Those are the flashpoints. But that's why it's called systemic racism, because it's in the very fiber. Mm -hmm. And the last podcast we did was about anti-Asian violence and discrimination and prejudice because of the COVID-19 pandemic. And nowhere in any way is it comparable to what happened to George Floyd or the issues we're talking about today, but its branches on the very same tree. The tree is called American racism. So the question becomes, what really becomes the question is not how long are the demonstrations going to last, not whether or not they're going to be violent or not, not whether or not who's speaking out and who's not speaking out and what are they saying. The question becomes, what are we going to do about it? <coughs> and I think that's why your post on Facebook, and you should share what you said, basically. I mean, you talked about a lot of things, but... There was one line that you made that I think sort of galvanizes the whole thing in terms of what we need to do. Let me pull it up here. <clears throat> well, that's the title of my column in Rafu Shimpo. <laughs> we need to do better. Yeah. So I'll read it real quick. So I have no answers, just literal tears as I watch three generations of black men struggle with this. This is not a zero-sum game, and there's no perfect solution. But goddammit, people, we need to be better. If this unprecedented last three months has taught us anything, is that we need to be better as a country, be better as a community, and be better as human fucking beings. It's not easy and far from it. But as Killer Mike said in an interview pretty recently, we need to rise from the ashes like a phoenix and do our part representing the world leaders that the United States used to epitomize. And that responsibility lies with all of us, from us at the grassroots level to Trump. But in, in reality, it's built on us, regular people, the foundation of our country. So what can we do? We could talk, love, fight, struggle, uplift, have empathy, listen, argue and disagree and reconcile, but stop making excuses to hate and take the easy route to venting your anger and frustration out on others. We have to be better. 
and I posted it along with a video of, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was at a, a demonstration at a protest. Uh, there was an, uh, you know, a lot of people around, there was a, a old head, uh, black guy, a middle-aged, uh, now he wasn't middle-aged, he was in his thirties, uh, another black guy. Um, and the, the older, the, the older guy was just, he, he was fed up. Because I'm done with this. We've done this. We've we've demonstrated. We've we've written letters. We've done it all. Like I'm, I, you know, I'm. I have I have no more energy left. Like I I'm ready to die here. We were, you know, we. He was at the end of his rope, and the the um, the middle aged uh, guy was 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 like I understand. I get it. And then he he reached over and he pulled over a young guy, and he was. He was like, this, is, this guy is 16. This is 16 years old. And I don't want him to go through what I'm going through. And I don't want him to go through what I'm going through and what you're going through. And it was just, it was a very um, honest moment. It was a very raw and unfiltered moment. And I, I think, I mean, the hardest thing of all this stuff is context, I think. And, and understanding, like, you, you, you can't put yourself in 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 people's shoes unless you actually have walked in them and you can't on top of that you can't walk in somebody's shoes and feel the effects of decades and decades of systemic racism systemic institutional bricks stacked against you uh, it, it's just hard and it's an impossible task but um, seeing seeing a video like that, I think it just it really hit home. And in the end, it's it's you know, and and like your 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 article, your column, it's it's we got to be better. Like stop all the excuses. Like let's be better. And and yeah, that's that's what you know. Uh, at that night, anyways, that's really what what spoke to me. Well, you know, say that there is going to be an. When I was in the state legislature, uh, a lot of my colleagues, you could tell what kind of legislation they were going to introduce because it was based on whatever the headline was in the newspaper Mm -hmm. a day or weeks before that would give them the idea of what to do legislatively. But if you look at things like the (coughs) civil rights movement where years and decades of work and sacrifice led to the Equal Rights Act, the Civil Rights Act, and the Voters' Rights Act. Or you look at the redress reparation movement, starting from pilgrimages and educational programs on what took place, because so many people didn't know about it and the Japanese American community didn't want to talk about it. Then more and more work was done and movements were built and then it manifested itself in the Redress Reparations Bill. Uh, and the most important part of it wasn't the reparations part. The most important part of it was the apology from the United States government. And I think out of these demonstrations, there's going to be a lot of policy initiatives, a lot of reform efforts relative to criminal justice, law enforcement. But you're going to find that as sure as some police officers and police chiefs, union leaders of police protective leagues have been empathizing with the demonstrators. (coughs) 
there's a large number of them that still subscribe to what President Trump is talking about and acting out, which is to militarize. And actually, he wants to call down the United States military onto American citizens that are demonstrating. And now he's getting pushback even from the military world saying that you don't use the American military to, to fight Americans. Right. But what it comes down to, say, is all this policy and all the debating and there's still going to be a divided government and we still have to get rid of this recalcitrant president who's going to try to ride these demonstrations and claim everybody's a looter and thug. He's going to try to ride that to the presidency because he hasn't been able to deal with the coronavirus pandemic in a constructive, positive way. But what it gets down to is all this government response, it gets down to leadership at every level. But that's why what you're saying is so prophetic. It's about us. That's where it starts. And in the anti-war movement, the issue was always about hearts and minds. How do you change hearts and minds Mm -hmm. relative to the issue of the war? And that's what this is too. How do we change hearts and minds? And all the words are there. All the words are there. In my column, I use the term, the phrase, walk a mile in my shoes. Empathy. I echo a lot of what uh, Magic Mike, whatever his name said. Killer Mike. Killer Mike. (laughs) Magic Mike's a different. (laughs) Oh, that's right. That's the (laughs) killer Mike. But... I referenced these words before, the the whole thing about do unto others as you would do unto yourself. What Dr. King said, you know, judge a person by their character, not by the color of their skin. And I invoke your quote, we need to do better. We need to be better. We have to be. But it starts with us. Mm-hmm. That's where it starts. I think there's... I think there's a, a lot of different ways that people can be involved. And, um, you know, be, before we get too far away from it, I did want to get your take on there. You know, I feel like people get distracted by the, you know, the violent destructive part of riots and, and the looting that comes along with it. There's a um, post that was going around that um, was tried to give people perspective and check them on their outrage, and it was it was, you know, you sh- your sentence shouldn't be, you know, what happened to, uh, what 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 happened, you know, to uh, the guy getting killed was was horrible, but I hate seeing our businesses getting burned and I hate people stealing. And the post was, no, you need to turn it around. You need to say, it is horrible that businesses are burning and people are stealing, but it's worse that somebody lost their life due to, due to police brutality. And, you know, and it's headline driven and the pundits are pushing it different directions on both sides of the aisle. But what's your take on the effectiveness of, I mean, 
protest on my terms is is some of the biggest like you know bullshit you hear like no you need to protest like how i want you to protest right um but do you think it's effective? Do you think it's required? Do you think, I mean, uh, you know, uh, Malcolm X and, and, uh, and Martin Luther King Jr., uh, you know, could be seen as a, a yin and yang of sorts when it came to how they, how they you know, their different approaches to uh, the civil rights movement. Um, you know, I think peaceful protest and also, you know, um, you know, more, more, destructive, um, violent, violent protest, um, can be seen as that, as that yin and yang. So what, what do you think? Do you think it's effective? Do you think it's necessary? Do you think it's, um, you know, people just got, it's part, it's kind of collateral damage. You know, it's, uh, uh, our good friend, your, your uncle and my good friend, Bob Miyamoto sent me, a. uh, video of Trevor Noah, uh, the TV comedian in his show that is uh, uh, the political show, I forgot the name of it. But he talks about uh, how can you expect people to honor a social contract, (coughs) meaning a, a societal agreement we have that I'm going to follow the rules, I'm going to follow the laws for the most part. But that contract is based upon you doing the same thing. So how can you expect people to follow this social contract, follow the rules and the laws, when the flashpoint, as you described it, was someone that's supposed to protect and to serve a police officer, doesn't follow the laws that he's supposed to uphold, and he kills somebody. So this whole thing of holding people accountable to the same social content, contract really has to be looked at. Not as an excuse for doing bad things, but to understand what's going on. So demonstrations in the, the American political landscape have its place. But the one thing that all this funnels into is a protracted effort to make change and that's a marathon it's not a sprint to make this kind of quantitative change that makes a qualitative leap and changes values changes people's hearts and minds like the civil rights movement did not for everybody but enough to change the course and the path the united states was on at that time, in order for this aspect of the social justice movement to do the same thing, it's going to take a lot of hard work that's going to go beyond going out on the street. People are going to have to go to the polling place. We're going to have to get rid of Trump. We're going to have to demand that whoever gets elected, Joe Biden and company, we have to hold their feet to the fire to make change. And we have to really look at ourselves in terms of our value system. People need to go to Cornell West, Dr. Cornell West, Professor Cornell West, who's talking right now. And he's talking about the socialist experiment called American democracy and that it's failing. I mean, we've tried black faces in high places. That's the term he's used. What did that do? We've tried a lot of things. 
and people are coveting all this material wealth. How much money do you need? How many things do you need? How rich does Jeff Bezos need to be? I mean, how much does people need to have? And that's on an individual level, like you, me, and our families, to the 1% that Bernie kept talking about. How wealth is concentrated in such a small minority and the vast majority don't have the wealth. And then we look at things that have been obvious for a long time, but people are now recognizing. I mean, the fact that black people are more disproportionately affected by the coronavirus than others, blacks and browns, this is not new. They're disproportionately affected by cancer. They're disproportionately affected by diabetes. They're disproportionately affected by heart disease, on and on. And then you look at the issue of the homeless. In the county of Los Angeles, African-Americans represent 8% of the population, but they're 30-something percent of the homeless population. Why is it so disproportionate? It's because of systemic racism. Mm. And that racism is a part of some people's everyday lives in terms of they have to deal with the potential of it being having a negative impact on their life or other people using it as a weapon to keep your knee on somebody's neck. In other words, keep them down so you can be up. But the saving grace in all of this is what you said. We need to do better. And we can do better. And there's countless examples. And if the good meaning people that believe in equality, equity, and justice embrace this and act on it in their own lives in an everyday way, they want to go to a demonstration to walk in somebody else's shoes, walk in their shoes in a demonstration, walk in the shoes in their, their community. There's so many ways through fellowship, through our religious community, whether it's a mosque or a temple, a synagogue or a church, there's ways of doing it by business. I mean, I think we need to have a hot sauce diplomacy. Mm. Let's share hot sauce, you know, sriracha for Louisiana, hot sauce for salsa. I mean, we have all these things in common. And then, you know, there's so many ways in education is still the key. You know, when Harley goes back to school, you know, at her school, it's mostly Asian and whites. And there's maybe a handful of African-Americans and there's a little bigger handful of Latinos. There needs to be multicultural education. And if it isn't manifested in terms of the population of that school, they should partner with schools that have a different ethnic makeup. And then as individuals, we need to reaffirm basic courtesy, saying hello, thank you, excuse me, acknowledging people, looking people in the face, looking them in the eye. You know, if someone tells me it's not my culture to look someone in the eye, well, you need to jettison that culture because we need to look each other in the eye, particularly if we're wearing a face mask because of COVID-19, that's the only thing you can see is their eyes. That's right. And then as Asians, that's going to really make us stand out because that's the thing that's always referenced relative to why we're looking different. 
So there's all these ways we need to do it. And so I, I, I think you should have a hashtag. Hashtag, we need to do better. That needs to be our watchwords. That needs to be our carrying call. Clarion call. We need to do better. We can do better. We have to do better. I mean, I think that we a we have to be careful because I think uh, Melania's campaign is called "Be Better" or something like that about not bullying on on uh, on social media, which is the uh, hypocrisy of hypocrisies. But I think it's a wake up call, right? This is the wake up call. We got to do stuff, and I, you know, I don't think we should be judging anybody like do what you can do what's in your heart, but also break away from those, those societal norms, those personal norms that you have, take a step back and really think like, you know, what, what am I thinking? What are, what am, you know, what am I doing? What am I teaching? What are, what are, what are my assumptions? Um, and I, I, you know, right. Like even the, the most progressive of the progressive need to do that. Even the most conservative of the conservative need to do it. Um, we all need to take a step back and, and really reevaluate and do something about this. Um, because it, it, it's not a, it's, it's not a flash in the plan, flash in a pan. It's definitely a tipping point. Um, and the fact that all these videos that we're pulling are from 50 plus years ago, you're talking about Emmett Till that happened 70 plus years ago. That's unacceptable to anybody. That should be unacceptable to anybody. Um, and, and so I hope that the words that, that you speak on here help. I hope that, you know, the words that were, you know, are being spoken online help, but, um, I think in the end, words are words. Let's let's get to actions, right? Like, let's let's get some tangible progress here. That happens to be the tagline on my column. The words are meaningless unless we lead by example. There you go. <laughs>